Before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. This week we are reading Parshat Lech Lecha, that wonderful Torah portion in which God speaks to Abraham and calls Abraham and Sarah to get themselves up and to get out of the country, their father's house, all that's familiar, and to go to a land that he will show to them. You can turn to Genesis chapter 12. We'll look at a few verses to get together today. And we're continuing in a theme that I started last week about how believers are salmon. We swim against the current. We have to swim upstream. And I can tell you this, that when God called Abraham and Sarah, he called them to swim against the current. They were elderly, if you will, 75, and they grew older. They did not have children. And God called them to relocate from the country of their origins and the place that was familiar to them, the place they knew well, to relocate because he wanted to do a great work that was not only for them, it was for the sake of all humanity and all history. It's hard to imagine what it must have been like to be an extended family member of Abraham and Sarah and to hear this from them. They could have sounded a bit mashugana, a little bit crazy. But there are times when God speaks to us And he directs us, and it won't make sense to other people. If the only things you're willing to do are the things that make you popular and are easy for everyone else to understand, you'll miss out on many opportunities that God has for you. God is rational, but he's not always rational with us. There are things that he does according to his understanding and his timing, his ways. And if we say we're not going to do it unless it all makes perfect sense to us, we will miss out on incredible opportunities that God has for us. Abraham and Sarah could not explain to people how they could become parents at at this old age. Uh, If we have any people who are 75 and up here, imagine if you came to to your families and said, we've decided to have kids. (laughs) I'm just in my 60s. I don't know how that would go over in my my house. Sandy, what do you think? No. (laughs) You're not saying, well, wait, okay. (laughs) I'm just... God is in charge of our times and our seasons. The way he created the whole universe step by step shows us that. He could have just, in the blink of an eye, in a single word, created everything. But he created things in an orderly fashion and and develops things in the same way in your life and my life he, he brings forth things according to good order. And he brings forth according to his wisdom even more so than ours. There have been times when I had a plan. I thought it was a good plan. I was working my plan. My plan wasn't working, though. 
How many can identify with that? You've got a good plan. It's just not working well. And so at times like that, I do what many people do. I pray to God. God, bless my plan. God, bless my work. And there have been times when I had this terrible understanding. Oh, I came up with a plan that's very different from what he would come up with. There have been times when I wanted him to say amen, but he wanted me to even ask before I got started. And so I learned to do something I call planning in the spirit. And that is before you make your plans, you stop and you seek the Lord. Before you make your plans, you try to get some definition from God what direction he wants you to go in. Because movement and action is not enough. Doing the things that are pleasing to the Lord, this is the key to everything. And once you know you're moving in the direction that God wants you, you don't pray, God bless me and my plans. You say, Lord, I am, I am following after you. I'm trusting in you. I'm hoping in the things that you've put in my heart. And then you pray, sometimes hoping against hope because you know the Lord wants to do something in a special way. God will put these things in your heart and he will release his faith into you, which enables you then to ask and to act as well. So if you, if you pay attention to the text in Genesis, Abraham is not the one who comes up with the idea. The Lord is the one who comes up with the idea. And the Lord comes to Abraham and he says these commanding words, lach lecha, get yourself up, get yourself out. The Lord sometimes will tell you to do something, and if you don't do it, the Lord's not going to do it for you. How can the Lord get you up and get you out? You have to get yourself up and out at his direction. But the Lord said to Abraham, get yourself up, get yourself out to a land I will show you. Now here's, here's the rub for Abraham. He was already living in a polytheistic land. He was already living in a land where he was a a minority of one who believed there was one true God. He already lived in a land where people had some inkling, but they had not recognized that there was one true God who was creator and master. And so the people of his land were involved in worshiping the sun, the moon, the stars, created things. They were confused. They, They were misled. And so the Lord tells Abraham, get up, and I want you to go to a land I will show you. And that land was worse, not better, in these matters. In in fact, in the land that he went to, there there were nations that would sacrifice their babies to their gods. There were nations that practiced worship by having temple prostitutes. And we're engaged in all sorts of acts of sexual immorality, violence, uh, mistreatment of, of other human beings. And God called Abraham to go from his place to that place. And there was a reason God had a plan for that place. He wanted to turn it around. He wanted to uh, bring forth a nation that would worship him. God sometimes likes to do the impossible in order to show his great might and his power. He could have picked two young, fertile people 
and said, make babies. And everyone would have said, yeah, of course, that's easy for them. But he picked two old people who knew this is not even possible. But they were faithful. Let's read the text. Genesis 12. The Lord had said to Avram, Lech lecha, get yourself up and get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you are to be a blessing. Some English translations say you will be a blessing, just rendering it as the future tense, like this is the inevitable future that you have. But in fact, it's more of a commanding word. You are to be a blessing. It's direction. God says, I'll bless you, but Abraham, you are to be a blessing. And if you believe in Messiah, if you were born Jewish or you've been added to the people Israel through your faith in Messiah, then you're called to be sons and daughters of Abraham, which means to live like Abraham, to live like Abraham and Sarah, and to be a blessing to other people. The impact that God wants to have on this world through you is significant, and he gives some definition if you can understand If you have ears to hear, you are to be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall bless themselves. They will learn to bless themselves through you. Now, if you look at current events, you can tell how the world's doing in this matter. How do, how do you think the whole world's doing? Learning to bless the children of Abraham. To bless themselves by blessing the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How do you think they're doing? <laughs> Are you clear? Not really that well. The world has difficulty with this. Some Jewish people have difficulty with this. So it's not surprising that the other nations may have difficulty as well. But God is making a promise to Abraham that through him, all the families of the world will bless themselves. They'll find blessing. This is a great promise that God has for the Jewish people, for all the sons of Abraham as well. He has a promise to bless the world. Now when Jews and Arabs, when, when the sons of Isaac and the sons of Ishmael can bless each other, you know what? It's a fantastic thing. It's, it's an example of what's possible because when you decide to love God and when you decide to respond to his call, And when you decide that his purposes will become your purposes, then the whole world works together for good. When you don't have those decisions, the world doesn't work so well. We can look backward. We can see how was the world working for the people outside of Noah's family? Not well. It says that they were corrupt. And it says that the whole world The whole earth was given to Hamas, to violence. And the world did not work well. It had to be renovated in the most severe of fashions. When when 
the new population, if you will, generations later, is building that Tower of Babel that's described in Genesis 11. And they're using all of their latest technology. They're using their knowledge and their abilities to try to conquer heaven and make a name for themselves. How well do you think they're doing? Not well. They think they're doing great. But in fact, they're not. What they could accomplish would be destructive in their power. Do you ever read about new technology and new scientific developments and you wonder what disaster is going to come from this or that? I was reading about uh, DNA manipulation that's designed to make pig organs more transplantable into people. And I thought, that's the last thing we need is to become more (laughs) swine-like. Regardless of the intentions, I don't know. We got enough pigs among us. (laughs) Pigliness. Is that politically correct? I don't know. (laughs) If If any pigs object... You can see me after the service. (laughs) Let's turn now to one more verse. Genesis 12, verse 4. It says, So Avram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. This is a simple declarative that Abraham did what the Lord told him to do. And it's a sharp contrast to that generation during the time of Noah, that disrespected God and disregarded God. They did what was right in their own heart, which was evil. And they brought ruin and destruction not only upon themselves, but upon their families and upon all the peoples of the world. When you respect God and when you reflect the goodness of God, and when you respond to his calling and his purposes with sincere love, the world starts working together for good. And that's what's happening with Abraham and Sarah. They become this little oasis of the world working right. Whenever you become an obedient person to God who's filled with love, you know what? You become this little oasis too. And the world around you changes for good. The way things work change. For good. It's such a sharp contrast. Abraham and Sarah find purpose and pleasure in the life of faith because they recognize something that serving God, obeying God, not just saying they believe in God, but actually having a living relationship of trust reflected by their lifestyle and their actions and their character, that service to God brings fulfillment, it brings joy, it brings uh, contentment and satisfaction that's not possible any other way. When we're ministering to the Lord and we're serving and we're obeying him, our life should be filled with gladness and joy. Now I've been thinking about the great pleasures of serving the Lord. Because I think that the life of service to God, the life of faithfulness to God, 
is the most rewarding life that any person could ever obtain. This morning, downtown at the landing, a billionaire speaking. Uh, Donald, the Donald. (laughs) The very own Donald. And there, I can't say that his life is filled with the contentment that comes from service to God. I, I don't know his life with God, but I know that he prefers to talk about how smart he is, and he prefers to talk about how much money he has. And he actually claims to have more money than we do. I think he's right. <laughs> yeah, because he's always saying, I, I, I got more money, I'm smarter, I'm going to make great decisions. What's your plan? I'll do fine, you'll love it. Not to pick on him, even though it's easy. Um, But I I bring him up for only one reason. There are people who have great wealth who have no contentment in life. They don't have the reward and satisfaction, the joy that comes from serving the Lord. And there are people who are going through the hardest of times who have no money and even no education. They're, They're... they're, they're doing without, and yet they have joy that is beyond what a billionaire may have. And so we know that money cannot bring all the things that obedience to God can bring. Money is useful. Money is important, and it's important for us to be faithful stewards with money and to use the wealth that God gives us for good. But money is not the only measure of everything. There are other measures as well. And Abraham and Sarah are displaying something to us. How important it is to make our simple life of obedience the center of everything. When we do that, when we're like Abraham and Sarah and we say, Lord, if you say go, I go. And if you say, go to this place, I'll go to that place. And if you say, do this, I'll do it. When we have that attitude, it releases blessing into our life and into the world around us. Now, I've been thinking about the great pleasures that come from serving the Lord. And and certainly, one of the pleasures is, is fulfillment. When we're serving the Lord, it fulfills us. It also causes us to develop a relationship with God. When we're faithful to minister and we're faithful to obey, when we serve in the congregation, when we do our work as unto the Lord, when we're serving in our family, in our neighborhoods, when we have that kind of consistency, it causes us to develop a relationship with God that's different than if we just say we believe. If we just attend religious activities, but we don't serve the Lord, then we will never have the kind of relationship that God intends for us to have. As well, when we're serving faithfully in ministry, we bear fruit, not just ourselves, but we bear fruit together. And we discover meaning in life. We discover blessings and their joys Sometimes it's not all happy. Sometimes, for sure, life can be difficult. How many of you can confirm that? Life can be difficult. Even when you're being faithful, it can be difficult. 
Even when you're walking in the steps that God has ordained for you and you're being faithful, it can be difficult. If someone tells you it's automatically easy if you obey the Lord, just think they don't understand salmon. Swimming against the tide, swimming against the current, swimming upstream. Believers are like salmon. We will swim against the current. We will swim upstream. Life will not always be easy, but it can be joyful, even if it's not easy. There are transformations and changes that happen to those who are serving the Lord that, that are wonderful. We develop differently when we're faithful in ministry. We, we mature we have experiences we couldn't have any other way. And they build up into us strengths that are the most important strengths. Abraham had hope, and he did not waver, and Sarah did not waver in hope. Do you know that hope is one of the greatest strengths a person could have? When you lose hope, it's hard to go on, but when you're overflowing with hope, you will be powerful. Keep that thought in mind and turn to uh, Romans. Chapter 4. Verse 20, it says that Abraham did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. And if you back up just a few verses, you can read these things. It says that God who gives life to the dead calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, in hope believed. You hope for what you don't have. And when you are serving the Lord and obedient to the Lord, your hope will grow strong, your faith will grow strong, and as a result, you will persevere and you will receive that which God has promised to you. Strengths are built into us, but somebody said, no pain, no gain. This was someone who was looking for gain, right? And so they wanted to tell the truth. If you want gain, you may have to go through pain. How many can confirm that that's happened to them? Some of you, you're in the middle of pain. You can't even, yeah. Well, I can tell you there's gain to be had because God will make you stronger. When you're faithful to God and you're serving God, when you're faithful in ministry, hidden qualities are revealed in you. Things that you didn't even know were there come up. As well, latent talents and gifts emerge. Sometimes people think that the only things they can be successful in are those things they were successful in when they were little kids or in high school. They don't realize that God wants to develop them more and bring forth more than they've already experienced. 
And it turns out that you can be 75 years old and God wants to bring more out of you. Or you can be 60, or you can be 50, or you can be 40, or 30, or 20, or 10, and God has more for you. These things will only develop in fullness when we're serving the Lord in faithfulness. Now, here's one of the things that's interesting to me about Abraham and Sarah. They obeyed the Lord. They served the Lord as if their future depended on it. And the fact was, their future did depend on it. Now, some people, believers, can take a job assignment or do a school assignment as if their future depends on it. And so they recognize If I am faithful and I do well in this job assignment that I've been given, it's going to open doors for me, and I'll have blessing. And there are times when people understand, if I do well in this class, it's going to open up the future for me. How many of you can identify you've had that kind of experience? And what goes along with that is, if I fail in this, it may close off the future I may not be promoted. I may may not go forward in this. Well, I don't know why, but sometimes believers can have this attitude correctly about work or school, but not about their ministry in the congregation and their service to the Lord. And they don't realize their future depends on the ministry that they do. Now, there's a wonderful Hebrew word, avodah. Can you say that with me? It can be translated in modern Israeli Hebrew as work, but it also means service. It also means ministry. It also means worship because it's a robust word that has all of these meanings together. When you and I understand that the way we serve God in the ministries we do in the congregation, this actually affects the future that we have. If we're lackadaisical, if we're inconsistent, if we're not conscientious in the ministries that we do in the congregation, we should expect that the future God has in mind for us will not open up for us. On the other hand, if we are conscientious, if we are faithful, if we do give our ministry the weight that it truly deserves as an assignment from God, then we can understand also that it will open up doors for us and opportunities that will actually open up our future. And there are times when you will not know some of the details of that future that will be opened up to you. Sandy and I were reflecting recently on a time when we were home group leaders almost 40 years ago, and there was a a woman in our home group who uh, was in broadcasting. I, had been, I was in broadcasting too at the time. And she got a job in Buffalo. She moved from radio to television in our city and then she got a television anchor job in Buffalo and so she had to move. And we had been deeply involved in her life. But when she moved, it was sad for us and we were thinking, you know, what a pity. Uh, because of the love and the connection we had. She moved to Buffalo, but she was looking for a congregation like the congregation we were a part of, which was connected to Derek Prince, who loved Israel and taught about the importance of the Jewish people. And so we connected her with the congregation, not in Buffalo, because I couldn't find one there, but in Rochester, New York. And so 
uh, she moved to the east side of Buffalo to be part of a home group on the west side of Rochester and then was part of this congregation up there. And she, she, she met a, uh, a famous cricketer and was going to get married and decided to have the wedding back at her home place near where we were in Virginia. And so she came down for the wedding, and she asked the pastor of that congregation in Rochester to come and officiate together with me at her wedding. And that moment connected me with the Rochester pastor, we became close friends. He became a spiritual mentor. That led Sandy and me ultimately to move to Rochester. It was in Rochester where we apprehended the Messianic vision. It was from Rochester that we first went to Moscow and then to other places in Russia and then Ukraine and so forth. And uh, a few days ago, she reached out to us. We hadn't heard from her in decades. This woman. And she was thinking of us, and she said, I I know now you're a Messianic rabbi, and I want to congratulate you on what you're doing. And I said to her, if it weren't for you, we wouldn't be doing this. And she said, what are you talking about? And I said, well, you don't really know this, but because of your move to Buffalo, your wedding, David Young, I just went through, you know, a very fast recount. Because of that, our life has been changed. It wasn't her plan to change our life. Do you understand that? But she was an instrument of changing our life. And I had the pleasure when I was in Orlando recently of having lunch with her and uh, one of her daughters, uh, Grace, 32-year-old physician, uh, pediatrician. And it was just so wonderful to see after decades what God has done. You never know the impact you're going to have by your faithfulness and by your connection with God and the steps that you take. But I can tell you this, even though you can't anticipate all of them, you can understand the quality of them. When you're faithful to God, the world works together for good and things develop. We wouldn't be here, the the Corsians wouldn't be here, none of us would be in this room right now if it hadn't been for Patricia Hunt. And you'd say, well, how could she be responsible? Well, I can tell you, if you take her out of the equation, all those other things would never have happened. They would have been impossible. It reminds me of when, who was it, Philip, who was translated to that place where he met an Ethiopian eunuch? That had an impact on Ethiopia, right? But it wasn't that Philip said, you know, I I really want to touch Ethiopia. How can I do that? No, no. He was just obedient to the Lord, and he already was abiding in the Scripture so he could open up the Scriptures to that man under that unusual circumstance. When you're faithful in the ministry that God gives you in the congregation, you're faithful in other areas, you will learn things that apply to other areas of your life. You'll learn things while you're serving God that apply in work. You will be more successful at work if you're faithful in ministry. You will develop character traits that will be useful to you. You'll learn to persevere. You'll learn to work together with people. You'll build up endurance 
that will serve you well if you're faithful in ministry. Now, if, if you tire after a week or two and say, oh, man, I, I can't do this. It's so hard. I can tell you, you've just begun. And the pain that comes to beginners is a normal pain. And I'll, I'll give you advice that others have given me. Get over it. Work your way through it. That pain goes away if you endure. When you, when you serve the Lord faithfully, you develop different perspectives. You see how things can work together for good. You understand things in a different fashion. You can begin to see things from a higher place because you begin to see things from God's place. Messiah, the scripture tells us, doesn't judge according to what he sees. But he's able to look into the heart. He's able to see the invisible in the same way when when you who are messianic, when we who are messianic are serving the Lord with faithfulness, it's not only the absolutely visible things that we can understand, but invisible things as well. Spiritual gifts also develop differently in people who are faithful in serving God. There are times when you will need spiritual gifts because you're serving the Lord, and he'll give them to you. You know, spiritual gifts are not how you get famous. They're not meant to give you self-esteem. They're not meant to take the place of bad parenting. If your mommy and your daddy didn't congratulate you enough on your report card, spiritual gifts are not the answer for that. Spiritual gifts are given for the benefit of other people, not for the benefit of the one who is practicing the gift. Spiritual gifts are the way that that God shows his love through us to other people. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit is not meant to just bedazzle people or impress people, but to touch people with the immense love of God and concern for God that God has for people. Spiritual gifts will develop in you as you're faithful to practice ministry, to be committed to ministry. You will find yourself in, in contact with people who need something that can only be given from God, but God wants to give it through you. So it may be that you could encourage someone through a spiritual gift of encouragement, And you receive encouragement from the Lord and then you give it to someone. It may be hope that you pass on or faith that you pass on. You may need to pray for a sick person and they'll be healed because you trusted in God to heal them. Now I want to mention two ministries. This is how we'll close. Two ministries that Abraham was involved in that you may not have thought about. One is the ministry of hospitality. Abraham was hospitable. Do you remember that that he he had a visit from some strangers? At first they're described as men, then they're described as angels, then he realizes these are men like angels and one of them is the Lord. And he feeds them, he's hospitable to them. He shows kindness, and it's during that hospitality 
that the Lord says, I'm going to give you a son at a set time. He received, he and Sarah received something from the Lord that was connected to the ministry of hospitality. What if they had turned away those visitors? Who knows? It could have been Abraham, the God of Abraham, and nobody else. Who knows what depended on that? In uh, Hebrews 13.2, after talking at length about the faithfulness of Abraham and Sarah and others, it then makes this comment, don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers because in this way some have entertained angels and they didn't even realize it. Abraham had that experience. They looked like men, they turned out to be angels, but one of the angels was the angel of the Lord, the Lord himself. So that was... That was one ministry. Here's the other ministry that um, Abraham was involved in, children's education. The Lord chose Abraham because he knew he would teach his children. And you could say, oh, well, every parent has to teach their kids. That's not obvious to everybody. When, when you grasp that, that we as parents are called to teach our children the ways of God, that's our calling. When we understand to be a Jewish family, we have to accept that calling and want our children to learn so that they can teach their children so that they can teach their children as well. Even though we might use professionals for some of the tasks, we as family bear responsibility for teaching our children about the Lord. We have that responsibility. But we also bear that responsibility as a community. So, so I, I, I hope you can get this. If you really want to be sons and daughters of Abraham and Sarah, then it's important to be involved in teaching children. And if you say, well, I'm too old... Ask yourself this question. Did Abraham and Sarah pull that? No, they did not. They didn't say, well, we're too old to be parents and we're too old to teach. In Genesis 18, 19, it says about Abraham, the Lord says, I've chosen him so that he will command and direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. And when we pay attention to the details of this verse, we see something, that God's promises are connected to our families, our children, our grandchildren, our household, all the people who are part of our family and the circles of influence that we have. God wants to use them together with us in order to bring about what he said he's going to do. So I can tell you this, if, if you're not involved in training and teaching children in this community, you're not fulfilling all that God has for you. How you do it, the roles that you take, that's, that's negotiable, but that you do it, that's a non-negotiable with the Lord. If you really want to be true members of the community of faith and of the Jewish people. In the same way, if, if you're thinking, oh, this is not my calling 
you're missing something. This is all of our callings to raise up yet another generation and a generation after that and generations after that. In America, especially in evangelical circles, hyper-individualism is very popular. Just thinking about faith as an individualistic thing is, is very common. And so salvation is presented in terms of one person making a decision. And of course, there is an individual side. But the, the Bible and the Jewish traditions teach us something else, and that is that, that faith not only touches an individual, it touches a family. It not only touches a family, it touches a nation. It touches cities, countries. Not only that, it touches the whole world. It touches generation after generation. We have a phrase, la door vador, from generation to generation that reflects this kind of commitment. And so these are just two examples. Hospitality, you might say, oh, that's not my gift. I can tell you it's everyone's calling to be hospitable. Being involved in the training of our children, everyone's called to that. Some may have more committed roles, but everyone's called. No one is outside. Everyone's part of the family. And I can tell you this. Even if you say, but I'm not good at that, you can learn to be better. You can learn to serve. You could be a teacher's aide because you can't, you're not a good teacher. You could serve for a season in one role or another. There are many things that you can do. I'm not trying to define and narrow those things down, but what I'm saying is Abraham was hospitable. And it opened up his future. Abraham was committed to the training of his children and his grandchildren. And it opened up the future for him. Your future depends on being faithful to God in all these different spheres. It depends on it. And I believe something. I believe God has a good future for you. Don't waste it. Don't sit on the sidelines. Don't think, oh, it'll just happen. It doesn't just happen faithfulness together with faith work for good. So I want to pray for the release of faithfulness in us and the vision that it brings. Lord, I thank you that you are faithful to us and you've given us Abraham and Sarah as examples of people of faith who were faithful. And let it be, Lord, that we walk in the footsteps of faith and that we are faithful to you so that we can experience all the joy that you have in mind, all the contentment, all the satisfaction, all the meaning, all the purpose, all the fruit that comes to those who are loving you and are responding to your call and your purposes. We pray this in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Let's close with Aaron's blessing. Would you please rise? If you're standing by yourself, I encourage you to just shuffle over a little bit, so you're standing with someone, so no one's alone. May the Lord bless you. May he keep watch over you and protect you. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Shalom.